The Full Toss Podcast from Chester Borton Hall. Hi, and welcome along to another edition of the Full Toss Podcast. And a blockbuster edition we have lined up for you as well. We have Lee Dixon in conversation with Chester Borton Hall's spin duo. That's Harry Caloran and Jack Williams. Everything from juniors through to playing for Cheshire, through to university cricket and off to Australia. A great listen. In addition, we will, of course, bring you up to speed with everything that's happening or isn't happening, as the case may be, at Chester Borton Hall. And as part of Andy Metcalf's Teammate Talks series, which you may have heard on the website, we've got Tom Evans with 12 questions posed to him. It's Cricket Jim, but not as we know it. And it's good to be back with you again on the Full Toss podcast. Now, we've got a number of guests lined up over the next few weeks, but do let us know if there's anybody in particular that you would like to hear. So we've got a busy old programme today. This is a long show. No apologies for that. But before we get into the conversation with Harry Caloran and with Jack Williams, we're going to play you a clip that we've taken from the website. Now, this is something that's been inspired by Andy Metcalf. Basically, he's been out and about. He's asked a few players just to answer some specific questions from their particular playing viewpoint. First off, we hear from Tom Evans, the third team captain elect. Hi, guys. It's Tom here. Tom Evans doing my bit for teammates to go onto the Borton Hall website list of 12 questions of players I've played with, against or seen Um, so we'll crack on with them Uh, first question is best player I have ever played with Um, it would have been when I once managed to blag myself into a first team cup game Um, I got the chance to play with Jordan Clark Um, he was a very good player, still playing for Surrey now um, and yeah, it was. I wouldn't say it was a pleasure to play with him, but it was very good to play in the same team as someone with his calibre. Um, question two, uh, best player I've played against. Um, it would have been when I was playing for second team, Stuart Stoneman, who played for Didsbury. We could never get him out. He always used to get five wickets against us every game constantly. Um, so yeah, it'd be Stuart Stoneman from Didsbury. Uh, question three, the biggest six hitter without a shadow of a doubt. And I think everybody who does this um, question and interview in Borton Hall will all say Ollie Law. He could hit a ball to the moon and back. Um, and I'm sure he's hit one before that's ended up in the middle of Chester from the first team square. Question four, uh, the best catch I have ever seen uh, while I've been playing would have been uh, Eddie Roberts at Gully uh, playing in the twos. He literally could catch anything at gully. Uh, the one that pops to mind was just one with his big bucket hands moving slightly to his left, but absolutely everything stuck. Uh, question five, um, the biggest joker in the changing room, it would be Eddie once again. Um, no matter how you were feeling, if you were feeling down, if you just got out, if we won the league, if we'd lost on the last ball, Eddie could always make you laugh, always make you smile and was always playing little pranks on everyone, which was good fun. Uh, Next question, is the worst trainer or the worst person at training? Uh, I'm going to have to say Andy Metcalf for last season's tactic of just not bowling at all at nets. Having his bat and mincing round for the rest of the net session. Right, next question, the most unorganised on match day. Um, Once again, it's a no-brainer, it's Joe Caloran without a shadow of a doubt. I remember twice last season he played with his uh, his trousers on the wrong way round, so his pockets were at the back. Um, yeah, definitely Joe Caloran. Next one is most likely to be late uh, for a meet or to a game. Once again, another no-brainer is Joe Maddox. Uh, you always had to make sure he was A, awake in the morning, and B, starting to walk to the ground so he could be there on time. <coughs> right, excuse me. Next one, the most bizarre thing I've ever seen on a cricket pitch. It would have been when I was quite a lot younger, playing in the third team. Uh, Martin Griffiths, Matty's dad, was the wicketkeeper uh, and used to like to have a, a cigarette during over or during a wicket being taken. So he kept the lighter in his pocket. As one day he banged on his trouser leg to, to get the bowler to bowl a bit faster or to get the team going and his lighter exploded in his pocket 
uh, setting his trousers on fire and melting his uh, his cycling shorts underneath, which was quite funny watching him whip down his kecks in the middle of the field. Next one, once again, this is another absolute no-brainer. The biggest diva um, I've ever been in the change room with or played with. It's, it's Warren Goodwin, without a shadow of a doubt. Needs no explanation. <clears throat> uh, what are we on now? Question number 11. The one player, past or present, to, uh, that I would like to have played a full season with would be Steve Wunkey, who played for the first team in the 90s. I remember watching him as a young kid. He was a, a really, really great player, and you could just tell he was something special. Um, yeah, so I'd love to play a, a full season with him uh, in current day. Final question. The best game I've ever played in for Borton Hall uh, would be the second 11 2020 finals day at Warrington in 2015. Uh, it was great. We got a coach up there. The first team then took the coach on. I think they were playing someone in the Liverpool comp. Uh, the first team won, picked us up in the bus on the way home. We'd won as well and we had a cracking party and it was a great night at the cricket club. Thanks, guys. See you soon. What's on at Chester Borton Hall? Well, lockdown rolls on, of course, so not a great deal of cricket going on at Chester Borton Hall or anywhere else for that matter. But just a couple of things to mention. Uh, first of all, of course, you'll be familiar with the big lockdown quiz. That's every Saturday, uh, hosted by Dave and Harry Kaloran. More details of that on the website. It costs just a fiver. All money's raised go towards club funds. That's much needed. So five o'clock every Saturday. Find out more on the website and on Facebook. And you may also have seen as well that we're asking players to put down a deposit, if you like, a starting point for membership, because it's pretty difficult to ask players to to pay membership, obviously, when there's, there's no cricket going on just at the moment. But if you could help us with £30 towards that membership fee, it would be much appreciated. Again, full details on the website. Right, time now to listen to Harry Caloran and Jack Williams and they're in conversation with Lee Dixon. Jim Law and Lee Dixon, the full toss. Hi guys, it's Lee Dixon again and we're back with two more players to talk to as part of the full toss podcast. Today we've gone really close to home and we've brought two of the finest spinners that Bort and All have to offer. I have Jack Williams and I have Harry Caloran between them, they have 600 Premier League wickets that span 325 games and a couple of trophies and medals to show for it. Harry, Jack, welcome to the podcast. Cheers, Lee. Thanks for having us. Thank you, Lee. What a great introduction. Well, it's much better than the two previous ones we've done, Harry, so we've got to <laughs> roll with it and enjoy it. Um, guys, obviously, we're going to sit here. We're going to go through a number of different things over the, the next 30 or 40 minutes. And I know a lot of the listeners across the league and within Bort and all are going to be really excited to hear what you both got to say. The reason we put you both together, not only have you bowled in tandem for obviously nearly a decade now, but you've both had quite similar um, paths, whether it be from junior cricket all the way through to playing in the first team, overseas, university, all these different things. So the idea is we're going to chew the fat a little bit. Let's see what the difference is between a, a MCCU university and uh, academic university, Jack, where you have pens and pencils there. Talk about your experiences overseas and just basically, let's see who's better really as well. That's going to be the final <laughs> question. Who, who's, who's the better player? But we're going to go straight into it. Jacko, junior cricket at Chester, how did you find it? Uh, just genuinely loved it. Um, it was great in the fact that it was my dad coaching all the time on all of the the age groups that I came through with Chester. We had a really good team with a, a good group of people that come together at the, the same time um, and managed to stay with the same same team pretty much through the age groups. Um, Any other, Jack, just on that team there, there's a couple of names there we may be able to recognise with that I'm either still playing now or, you know, who were great players back then who kind of drifted off. Yeah, so my age group had the likes of Andy Metcalf, uh, Glenn Kopak, Ollie Thompson, who unfortunately not uh, I think it's moved to Australia. Um, I think there was Ollie Law playing in the age group above. And the main one for my age was actually Mike Robinson, who was a big part of our 2010 T20 winning side, but I think is is now off playing golf and enjoying his Saturdays that way. Well, all, all those guys obviously made it to the to the first team level. Harry, for you at junior cricket? Yeah, well, similar stories to Jack, really. My dad obviously ran uh, the cricket team, junior age groups, so that was nice. Obviously, feeling comfortable in that sort of environment with your dad running the team. 
we were probably weren't as successful as Jack's age, but I loved it coming all the way up from played there obviously my whole life. We had good players in my age, just a year above me. I used to play. I liked his guide and Bavins. Uh, I used to play a lot. It was a good player. Johnny Wright, Dave Wright's son, was good playing. Um, and then I think, obviously, with that sort of success and a big junior section, um, I think I was lucky that I got fast-tracked into senior cricket very early as well from the sort of success at junior I had. Um, so, yeah, I loved it. I think Chester's a great place to play. And my dad obviously ran the Friday nights as well. So that was a nice big social sort of thing for me. Cool. Well, for, for both of you, obviously, playing junior cricket at Chester, and going uh, around the county to, to represent Borton Hall. Is is there a particular game or rivalry that you have in junior cricket where you look back now and go, God, that was such a massive game, but now actually it wouldn't actually be that big a game at all? For for my age, it was definitely always the rivalries with Upton. The, the challenge we had against Upton, and especially Ross being the captain of that Upton age group, and, and we were taking them on. Um, we had some really, really good battles with them. Uh, I do remember one one game where it had been rained off. We tried to play about four or five times. The game actually ended with a coin toss in the Button Hall Pavilion. The coin toss had gone up flick and it then rolled all the way around the room between all the tables, smacked into the wall. I saw Gary Dixon was there chasing after the coin, trying to see which way it had fallen. And luckily it came up our side. But no, that was definitely one of the, the big rivalries that stuck with me from my junior days. See, there is part of me, that little bit of up to me inside that thought, well, the only way in Chester Junior Cricket that we're going to beat Upton was a coin toss, so that makes me <laughs> feel a lot better. Uh, <laughs> Harry, what about you? Is there sort of a rivalry um, in there? I think, obviously, this carries through to the first team, but I think it was Neston. We had, uh, used to play against Neston. They always had a strong side. I remember a T20 game here. I think it was a quarter, quarter or semi-final. Under 17, I think, and they had the likes of Matt Stewart, Dane playing, who we played Cheshire with, Guy Reid, good player, Alistair Crick. There's a lot of good players they had, and I remember as a 16-year-old getting sledged, probably, and getting chirp and all this from Neston, thinking this is the sort of thing he used to, playing nice cricket, junior cricket at Chester, so that was a good rivalry, a good game, um, and then there's other teams as well at junior levels that probably aren't quite as good as maybe you get into senior, like Warrington, they're always really strong, and I remember yeah. one game playing with Joe, it was the last ball of the game, this is to get through to the final, this is our play year above, Joe missed the ball, last delivery, uh, the wicketkeeper, the wicketkeeper, then they needed one to win. Wicketkeeper took the stump, threw the ball in the air. Then Joe and I think it was Matt Robinson ran the one, and then won the game against Warrington. And that was a great win because they were one of the uh, best teams. So yeah, that's another good junior memory. But I think they were the two main strong teams we used to play against. So for you two as juniors now, we're kind of going to just dive in a little bit into senior cricket, and we're going to kind of fast forward into first team cricket because I appreciate that both of you obviously went through the sides quite quickly. And I'm sure there were people that definitely had a massive impact on your cricket in those lower sides. But you both came into the first team quite early. What was that like coming into that first team changing room at Chester at such a young age? It was definitely a bit of a challenge in terms of coming up to the personalities that are in in that first team. Um, I had a bit of a unique situation with my very first game in that I was due to play on the third team pitch for the for the thirds. Um, someone, I can't remember who, called cried off on the morning of the game about half an hour before the start of the match. Seamus wandered over to the back pitch and called me over and brought me into the changing room. And suddenly you're thrust into a, a first team environment, kind of led by Keith Pritchard, who was obviously a really strong character at that time. So that was a bit of a... A baptism of fire trying to do that as a, a 13 year old lad and just wanted a nice quiet game of cricket on a Saturday and you just thrust into that environment and obviously then I didn't play for a couple of years and came back into it when I was 15 or 16 and it's again it's a it's a tough situation because we had quite a few superstar players at that point and people like Trevor Fabian, Maruf Khan um, and it, it really was eye-opening and good to try and uh, learn as much as you can from these kind of players with the amount of experience that they had. What about for you, Hate? Well, unfortunately, Jack's unique experience was the exact same as mine because I was meant to be on the third team pitch as well. And I think it was Seamus missed his flight back from Ireland. I think it was an MCC tour on the front, on the Saturday morning or something. So I got pulled over from the back pitch and played. So that was one game against Neston when I was 12, which was 
obviously an eye-opening experience. But then properly, I was in the team, I think, when I was 14, two years later. Um, and I remember my first game being against Neston away. Um, and, yeah, just seeing the sort of characters in that team. I think that was your first year as well, Lee. Um, and obviously, well, there's a bit of conflict there with the likes of yourself, Rolo, Seamus being captain. And obviously, there's a lot of winners in that team. And my first game was a, a loss to Neston away. And I remember thinking the reactions in the change room and the, the feeling was completely, it's something completely different to I've ever experienced before. And that's when you realise how much it means to people and how important what first team cricket actually is. Because the difference between a loss of the second team or junior cricket I'd played previously felt like a completely different atmosphere. So that was a real sort of baptism of fire in a way. But I, I thought it was, I thought it was great because you see the passion that, that you lads played with. So yeah, I enjoyed that. Well, I, I thought just going back to your first year, Harry. Uh, the first time you actually bowled at me was in the nets uh, down uh, in our old nets down at the club. And I'm not, I'm notoriously not a great netter. Um, and you strutted down, obviously this kind of short ginger thing, bit of a strut on him. <laughs> Spinning it massive. I just tried to whack you. Got out stumped a couple of times. And I can actually remember you asking someone who the new lad was and what <laughs> team he was going to be playing in. And at the time, <laughs> I was batting, I was batting in, the, in the top order for Cheshire. I'd come across to kind of hopefully make the chess feel a little bit better. So my view, this, this, this thing about both of you have gone off to university. So you've both come into that first team very young. You've had a few years. You've gone through year 11, sixth form. A lot of success. Become quite important parts of the side, bat and ball. You've both gone off to university. Jackie went off first. You went to Bristol um, to study maths, if I'm right in, in saying and then, Harry, a few years later, you went off to Leeds. I don't know which one. I, I never know. Did you go to the clever one or the one where you crayon? Yeah. Yeah, because yeah. yeah, I know Rick went University to the one where you used crayons. Yeah. He did, yeah. So, yeah. University so, of Leeds, I went to it. So, for you, Jacko, obviously, what was what was that like going down playing cricket at, at Bristol, but also having to keep being part of that first team culture at Chester? Yeah, so it was a bit of a, a strange one because it was the first real kind of winter I wasn't there nesting with the guys every week you kind of you come to the start of the season and I was a bit in and out of the team because I'd been quite clear in terms of when my exam dates were which games I could play and, and things like that so I tried to come up as much as I could and um, so I think in I was down there for four years I think I maybe missed three or four games each season towards the start of the year but then maybe travelled up for three or four as well. And, yeah, it was it was tricky trying to balance studying, trying to study on the um, on the train on the way up, trying to do as much as I, I could, really, to to not disrupt it. Um, and thankfully, I had a, a couple of really good results when I first came up in my first year. Uh, I think in my first two games that I, I travelled, I got a six for and then an eight for, which kind of made it then a bit easier for me to then say, right, I've played my part. We've done well when I've come up. I can take a couple of weeks off now, kind of go for my exams. And I remember one game where you guys had gone away at Marple and gave, gave me a call on your bus on the way home at about two in the morning when I was lying in bed with studying to do and singing around the town to me. There was a... It was tough not being up and being a part of it, but it kind of made it even more so when I then eventually managed to come back for the summer and, and really get stuck in and get involved again. The, the beauty about that bus trip, though, Jack, was is that we were ringing you singing around the town when we got two points. <laughs> I was going to say, it could and, be a podcast in itself. That, uh, <laughs> <yeah>. <laughs> and I always remember Seamus at the time, obviously, was really trying his absolute hardest to bring that title back to Chester, which eluded us for so long. And he, uh, we stopped at the off-license, both of us. It had been a really poor day at the office and we needed to do something to keep the team together. So then proceeded to uh, fill the bus up and we got Don to take the long way back to Marple. And I think that's when you got the call. <laughs> so, you know, uh, it was uh, it was certainly an experience. And uh, but having, you, ha- having, having you around as well to come back in then definitely lifted the side. One one thing Jack did do, Harry, and I, I know we've spoke about this previously, is that Jack was quite structured in his mm. approach to I am playing, I am not playing. What about you at university? 
Yeah, well, I think that's something, obviously, talking about travelling back to Chester, I maybe didn't do as well as Jack. I think the nature of Jack's course makes it slightly easier because I didn't really have exams. A lot of mine was coursework-based. So, you, you know, a deadline's there, but you think you might be able to manage your time a little bit better to make sure you uh, got time for Saturday. And sometimes I didn't do that well enough. Uh, so that was a shame. I think I found it tough coming back in second and third year sometimes because I played for the MCCU, which is a, a, a scheme which is obviously trying to produce professional cricketers. We play, we play more games than Bristol, so we play a lot in the week. So if I had games in the week and I was trying to do my studies on top of that and come back for the weekend, I think I found that quite difficult. So anyone that is going to do go to university and try and play club cricket back home, travelling. I was also in Leeds as well, which is a little bit closer than Bristol. So maybe there was that thing, that was that thought that I should be able to come back. It's only an hour and a half train. Um, but anyone who is going to university do that, try and get it organised as early as possible. And just sort of communication with uh, the captain, because obviously there was a couple of times where I wasn't able to play and maybe let the team know in the week, which was a bit too late. Um, but yeah, I think Jack probably handled that well, maybe me not as much. You 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 touched on it there. Obviously, it's a MCCU. I think I said that right. Yeah. Um, you know, I went to the Open University, Harry, so we didn't have any cricket in there. But um, you know, that scheme is obviously full on. It's a it's a path, part of the pathway to professional cricket. Yeah. Um, obviously, you played a lot of cricket there, Jacko. You got to play uh, cricket down in Bristol in a, a year group that you always talk very fondly about. Two very different experiences. Go to Harry first. What was that like having to balance the, the intensity of that university cricket plus then coming back to Chester, where it's the expectation of winning? Yeah, I think I think it was it was it was quite hard, especially during that time as well. I'm not sure if we're going to talk about it later on, but I agreed to um, be club coach for, for for a year and take on the vice captaincy role and then as well as not being around the group and playing intense cricket during the week then coming back for the weekend again when you think maybe I'm away from this sort of bubble of university and stress and cricket you sort of want to relax and then coming back into a team where you know there's that much emphasis on winning and you're meant to be vice captain I think I maybe found it quite tough but the cricket was what was good about it was the cricket was good standard I was playing in the week and at the weekend so sometimes when I was doing well in the week, you feel like you're ready to perform well on the weekend. Um, so yeah, that's, that's what I say. I think it, it can be tough, but that's that's what it's like. You like I had university exams, but you boys had jobs. It's about getting the balance right between your sport, your social life, and your commitments, isn't it? So I think yeah, it's a learning experience moving forward that maybe I have to organise myself a little bit better. Cool, Jacko down in Bristol. Yeah, so. Um... Bristol as a, a university was definitely very academic orientated, but still took the, the sport as seriously as they could at that stage. Um, so the cricket team was in the league below the MCCUs. And we just hired a coach for the first time when I arrived in my first year. And they were trying to transform it into a bit more competitive in terms of the cricket. Um, we were nowhere near as intense as the MCCUs in terms of there was no fitness sessions during the winter. We just met up for nets once a week, twice a week, and had a bit of a social. Um, and that was more of the, that side of it during the winter. And then come the season, you then play it as hard as you can to to push it on. But without the added games that the MCCUs have, we aren't quite as big a commitment maybe to, to go into the cricket people were more likely to drop out for academic things because that was the priority at that point. But I think the age group and the year that I had there was very, very strong. We seemed to have a big intake at the same time of a lot of talented cricketers from a few that had played kind of a lot of second team cricket, minor counties cricket, things like that. And so we were each year striving to try and get into the MCCU league to play against them. We managed to win the league all four years I was down there, but only got promoted on the final final year because you had to win a playoff game in order to get promoted. So we had four years of pretty much winning every game that we played, having a really good crack with a good bunch of lads that were good players, and then got promoted on our final game that we played for the club. And then about seven of the first team all left at the same time and said good luck to the rest of the lads to try and compete with those MCCUs that they wear a different intensity of cricket and a different level so I think they've managed to consolidate quite well down there now and I think they got relegated but then promoted again so I like to think we've left a bit of a bit of a legacy going on 
to improve the cricket that was going on in in the city and in the university. But um, well, yeah, so it was a completely different experience. The MCCU is a bit more relaxed, but the standard of cricket was still still good, and I think improved me as a cricketer. Well, you both come out of university now. Uh, for a lot of people, uh, I know Harry, you went before university and you went after. Uh, Jacko, you made the the kind of transition like a lot of um, people who go and do academic courses, cricketers, you go and play overseas. Um, fantastic opportunity, especially as talented lads like yourself. Both you've played minor counties, got a nice CV to be able to go over and play. Um, mate, you know, what, what were those experiences like? Did it benefit your cricket or was it a life experience? So, Jacko, you went over to Berwick and then I know you went to Riverside in Launceston. Harry, you've been to Darley on both occasions. <laughs> Yeah, so obviously I went to Darley, both times, like you said. I think 18 going out there first time. Um, I, I went to Darley because obviously he was a good friend of the club. Heath Pritchard was going there as captain coach, and he assured me and my family that uh, he'd look after me well. Obviously, we all know he would, and um, and the club was a good fit for me. Uh, that I'd have plenty of batting opportunities uh, and bowling as well, which he said when I went over and obviously I was going with Rick as well and he was keen to go so I think for me that was a good fit because 18 especially with a late birthday as well which I have I'm only really just sort of becoming a man so that thought it was a good fit and the club were great and it was (laughs) the club were a great fit it was fun living with Rick and I enjoyed the cricket and then coming back to 22 um, Darley again had been had a bit more success in the years that I've been at university obviously Rick and Andy Metcalf had been the year before and they said the club were uh, moving well and like had, had some good new additions and they were had a real big push the year I came back uh, to win the league and win the T20 Cup and they offered me the chance to bat three and uh, some financial incentives as well and I thought that was like, very generous and, and good and the position I was in after three years at university was something I wanted and then luckily so, we won the league. So won Harry, the league. you yeah. took the cash. And we won't edit that out, Jim. So obviously he was delighted to go to Darley, but let's call a spade a spade. He took the cash. It wasn't just for that. Was just, <laughs> I've, I've got a lot of good friends there and it was nice after three years of university coming back and uh, seeing a lot of friendly faces. And luckily last year we won the T20 and the Cup. So I'm very mm-hmm. lucky that, yeah, I know I've got a, a club at Chester who know me well and a club in Australia that know me well for two years. So, yeah, very fortunate. Jocko, you had two slightly different experiences, obviously going to uh, Melbourne and then going to the, the leafy suburb that is Launceston in Tasmania, like many of us have been there before. Do you want to tell us a bit about those two? Yeah, so um, it was definitely a case of trying to, to balance the, the life experience and the cricket out. Um, so I've kind of always had it in my, my head to go travelling and do the Australian stuff for seasons after I'd finished at uni. And the Berwick came came around at a good time. I had good links there with a guy called Dan Brown at Cheadle, who I went to uni with as well, and Paul Sparing that most people around the league will know. Um, so they got me in there, and it was a really good experience and a good group of people. Played a chance to play with some really high-profile names. Um, there was a, a 2020 tournament that they have that you're allowed marquee players to play for. So as a club, they got Brad Hodge in to play in a 2020 game under lights on a on a Thursday night. So that was a really good experience. Had thousands of people down there, and uh, Brad Hodge got a second ball duck, I think, opening the batting. But he was he was good with the juniors and and good in the bar after to to tell a few stories. And um, so we had a, a good year there. Performed well. Cricket came on. Played against some Sri Lankan Test cricketers, and it was a really really high standard and and brought my cricket along. Um, I think we ended up losing in the semi-final, unfortunately. Um, but yeah, really positive experience. Then went to to Launceston the year after, which was definitely eye-opening. It's a it's a unique place, as I'm sure you well know, Lee. But thoroughly, Jack, there's no place quite like it. It's nothing like Australia, I don't think. No, completely different. But that that's part of the the charm that took me there in the end, and and made the decision to go there. And it. It's a completely different place to, to mainland Australia with much more open greenery. But at the same time, the cricket that they played was was good, hard cricket. And the side I was in was quite a young team. So while there's a lot of talent in it and we played some really good games, we won the 2020 
tournament when I was there, but kind of the consistency of the two-day stuff wasn't quite just because there was quite a few inexperienced players. But it meant that as a person, that was more than a life experience to grow for me because you had to take a bit more responsibility, be a bit more vocal in training in the changing room and be that personality a bit more, which I think really helped me for when I came back, went into to full-time work and then took on being the, the vice captain of the first team, which allowed me to transition into that quite nicely. So, the, <laughs> I do, I do think for both of you, you just touched on it there about coming in and being the vice captain. I think for 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 both of you having those experiences overseas, coming out of the the, the bubble of Chester, where as you've both touched on a couple of times about having massive like senior presences within that first team over a long period, going over and kind of taking it must be quite interesting for you to see which parts of that you take yourselves and take into other clubs that maybe not haven't got as a developed most developed setup but maybe have a, a different mantra to maybe Chester have, Paige? Mm, yeah, well, I think one thing that's massive in Australia and I really respect their cricket for is the training. They do it's always a massive turnout with training. I think that's really good. And I think maybe that's part of the Australian mentality. Um, whereas Chester, the first team will train, but it, it's probably not as much and people are busy. But it's Tuesday, Thursday in Australia, I think. And they, it's tra- well, and the cricket, for me, being slightly country cricket, I'd play in Australia, whereas here we're very much sort of a team of Semi, well, semi-professional, the lads who have played minor county standard or higher. Um, it's a slightly different sort of, slightly different setup on game day. And the country, they play a bit harder and it's a bit sort of raw of cricket, if that makes sense. Cricket's tough, the wickets aren't as good, the outfields are longer and you feel like you've got to really work for it. Whereas sometimes at Chester, we're blessed with that sort of such good players that sometimes you can, um, cricket might become, it might become a bit easier or show. Does that make sense? So, like, we, we put on big scores and then we, we, we can like bowl them out with spinning pitches, whereas sometimes in Australia it's like feels completely different. One eighty in in eighty overs can be a good score, so it's different, and that it shows how cricket's such a changeable game, isn't it? And so that's all that was quite interesting going to Australia. Well, Jacko. Yeah, so as you say, it's just the, the different experiences that you get and the, the different mindsets that people have in in different parts of the world, and I definitely agree that some of the cricket was a lot tougher in Australia and that the wickets aren't as quite as good. They're maybe a bit uncovered. And we played on some absolute shockers at times where yeah, you, you get up to 130, 140 in a two-day game. You feel like you're in the game and you can bowl them out. And But then at the same time, you, you're then bowling. You have to try and be ridiculously patient because some of these wickets are just really slow. The batters are prepared to bat all day. Mm. And it just becomes really quite turgid cricket at times. And But then you've got to try and find a way of galvanising the team. How do you take a wicket? And and it adds to that extra things that, which it, it was good to get back into after kind of doing it in minor counties stuff and you play the long form of three-day games. And then you can go and play some two-day games on a Saturday. But I wouldn't recommend the two-day Saturday games for for anyone really because it it drags a lot when you're only playing kind of one innings on a day and then you play the next innings the, the next week yeah. that's something that I really struggled with and, and found quite tough just trying to keep any sort of rhythm going with with bat or ball so I think that's I think that's one thing Jacko for people who've been overseas the amount of cricket that we play in England compared to playing overseas is unbelievable you can't they can't actually believe how many games we play but Harry touched on it. Their emphasis, they train so hard for so little cricket. And then when you come over here, we hardly train, but play lots of games. It's kind of yeah. somewhere, a hybrid version may actually work for both countries, really. But mm-hmm. uh, and, and I know certainly, Jacko, you mentioned there about minor counties. It definitely does have a massive um, help when you go over there. If you're used to fielding for long periods of time, with very little things happening and then things happening in clusters. Um, both of you have played for Cheshire. Jacko, you've obviously been that little bit older, uh, managed to play quite a bit more than Harry and, and got yourself capped. Um, is that something moving on for you, Jacko, that you, you think you've got a little bit more in the tank there because you're only a young man? Uh, definitely still in my thought process. Um, a lot of it depends on, on work. And I haven't played in the three-day stuff the last 
kind of three or four years just because of of exams um, I'm on an accountancy grad scheme so just doing all my accountancy exams at the moment but they come to an end this winter so I should fingers crossed be be getting through my final ones this winter which from next summer then it opens up the possibility then of, of seeing where I am with my cricket whether I, I want to give it another go at, at the long form and try the three-day stuff again um, but that's something that I'll, I'll come to when when I get to it kind of thing it kind of depends how 2020 ends up, whether we end up playing any cricket or not, and and then how we go into to 2021, whether whether it's a possibility again. Definitely, and for, and for you, and for you, H, you obviously came onto the scene a bit of a whirlwind. You were with Derbyshire, um, mm-hmm. getting to play lots of really good cricket in that in that second team. Uh, probably a bit of an aspiration to go on to play pro. Uh, the Full Toss Podcast from Chester Borton Hall. On the Full Toss podcast, you're listening to Lee Dixon in conversation with Chester Borton Hall's spin duo, Harry Caloran and Jack Williams. And Lee's just got onto the subject of playing for Cheshire with Harry. I'm um, at probably naivety of youth. Um, and yeah, just loving playing with all these like older lads who I've played against and all got their arm around me because I had success early on and I was probably keen and doing anything I could. So yeah, I, I loved those times and I was. Obviously, success coming into Cheshire really helped me for the next couple couple of years. I think there was always that that lovely story, Harry, of uh, you doing so well and you coming aside, and obviously you're bowling in tandem at that time with with Woodsy and uh, Woodsy as captain. Uh, anyone who knew him knew not to approach him when he was bowling, um, and you, and I was captaining you uh, at Chester, and you ran over. I was stood at slip, um, and he said, "I think the field's wrong when Woodsy was bowling," and I cruelly uh, said to you, don't worry, he loves people interrupting him when he's bowling. Run up and tell him. <laughs> so you jogged up between balls, which was fantastic. And and, and Woodsy laughed, because I think he knew where it came from. He stopped the game. You went back to point and then shouted that you were going to set the field till the end of the over. And the beautiful <laughs> thing was, most 16-year-old Harry would have just died inside. And then you proceeded to move the field, which I just thought was absolutely spectacular. Yeah, I do remember that. Yeah, <laughs> brilliant. No, but yeah, was it like like well, Woodsy was obviously great to play with, seeing seeing the, how, the way that he bowled and the way that he uh, set up his whole sort of uh, bowling spell for a three day. He'd obviously, have a few men out to start, and then when he really started getting the men round the bat as he got into it. But I was lucky uh, in that team coming in. And that was obviously probably why I did well because I I bowled behind Jack and Woodsy, which he could had some pressure, but. When they're bowling that well, like I'm, I'm, I'm likely to potentially take wickets because people see me as an easier option potentially, or they think they've seen Jack and Woodsy off. Maybe I'm a, I'm a way off. So I think that bowling with them three in tandem was great for me because I could see how they worked, but also an opportunity for wickets. So I think that role in that team as a 16-year-old really suited me during those sort of couple of years I played. You mentioned bowling in in kind of as part of a, a three-pronged attack with with Jack and Dan. Going back to 2013, uh, Jack, that was your first year. You broke into the side. Not a bad year to break in, though. That was the last time Cheshire won the three-day championship. No, it was it was quite a nice little introduction to, to long-form cricket, really. Um, yeah, not a bad way to, to start off. So, yeah, I, I remember making my, my debut in the one-day things, the, the last one-day of the year in what almost felt like a a bit of a competition between me and Danny Cramner to try and get that second spinner spot for the three days that are about to start a couple of weeks later. And Woodsy had the first spinner nailed down. He'd had a little rest for that last one day, one day game. Cause I think uh, Cheshire couldn't qualify, unfortunately. Also, so, also yeah, York probably had a national knockout game. So he would have thrown the, uh, <laughs> excuse, he would have thrown the excuse in that he had schoolwork or something. <laughs> There you go. Let let me and Danny have a have a have a run and make our debuts. But so it's a it's a good game. I bowled quite well in that that first one day. I think I go old my ten overs one for forty seven and Danny Cramden non for forty seven. But it's quite evenly matched. But it meant that both of us then played in the first three day game of the year. So it was me, Danny Cramden, and Woodsy went in as the the three spinners. And and first innings, I think we we batted first and. It was a bit of a, a nice introduction into it. I could sit around, watch a few guys bat. I think I ended up getting a few runs in the end. But 
I don't actually know how many I got because I think the scorer got confused when me and Danny Cromner were batting together. Couldn't tell us apart. So were you, were you scoring, Jim? <laughs> Couldn't have been me. <laughs> so I, I remember the, uh, coming over to us at the end of the, the first innings and, and telling us that she had no idea which one of us was which and she just guessed who scored the runs. So no idea how many I got. But um, yeah, and then I managed to... I know Woodsy was captain for the year, so he, he kind of introduced me quite nicely and gave me a nice early bowl in that first innings. And thankfully, I did, did quite well. I managed to get uh, six wickets quite quite quickly and we bowled them out relatively cheaply. So that was quite a nice little introduction to, to minor counties cricket. Put my stall out quite early on in that year that I could perform at that level and, and take part, which was really nice. Um I didn't actually get on in the, the second innings because Woodsy and Adam Siddle opened the bowling together and managed to roll Oxfordshire for about 50 and about 15 overs to win the game inside two days. But a uh, really nice introduction to the Cheshire three-day cricket, which then just continues throughout that, that year. We went into every game that year, I think, with with pretty much the same four-pronged attack, two seamers, two spinners, I knew my role in the side as kind of the second spinner and performed well. And Woodsy obviously had his, his superstar year that year, taking a ridiculous number of wickets to, to take us to the title. So it's, it's, ama- re- it's, a, it's amazing, Jack, that year that we actually, I think I'm right in saying that we batted first in every game. Yeah, all six and the final. So all seven games that year, <laughs> batted first. Batted first. And also as well, that was a year where we didn't actually have a club professional. So yeah, it, was, it, was a, it was a real blend of lads throughout the league. Khalid Sarwaz, Johnny Kettle, Scott Kerwin, Danny Berry. I'm going to forget people. These, these were like names of people who were doing so well in the league. And then all of a sudden you put on top of that, you, you know, Rick, Rick Moore. I always remember him getting a really big score in the final. And that was when... Uh, it was on the on the yellow tape on the bottom of Sky Sports News, hmm. yeah. and Rick spent more time that second day watching the telly inside the bar, waiting for his <laughs> name to come around to try and catch it on his phone, than watching the rest of the innings. Oh, amazing! <laughs> yeah, so, so it was that first game that I played, uh, the three day game. I remember walking round the boundary with Rick actually, and because he was trialing with Northampton Seconds at the time, I remember having the chat with him and him saying that he prefers playing for Cheshire. It was so much more fun. That club environment that we had together, group of just, I think we used maybe 14 or 15 players throughout the whole season. And just that camaraderie that you build up between you meant that it was just a really enjoyable year. Really well, quite a nice way for me to say welcome to, to Cheshire cricket and minor counties. Here's a, here's a three-day title for you. Happy <laughs> days. So coming back from Cheshire now, okay, you guys, you've been overseas, you've been to university, you've come through the junior setup, you're now in the cut and thrust of first team cricket at Chester Borton Hall. Now, obviously for you guys, you probably haven't been part of any period really of um, like starvation for success. You've come into the side and the team's been relatively successful straight away. Now, we go straight into the, the 2014 season. Now, obviously, that was the year where we won the national. We won all the cup competitions. We finished second in the league behind Hyde. You go back to that then. You two were front stage centre. You were the bowling attack was aimed around you. How was that? I think that season was was great. I remember I've got a photo at the end of the year with four cups, like you said. To have that sort of success is unfounded, really, in club cricket. So it was a great year. Um, I think I found my role, if we're going to talk about the cups and our success, during that period of bowling, opening the bowling in a T20, uh, which is something I really enjoyed. Um, I was bowling quick into the pitch um, and bowling in that sort of pressure period, but something I really enjoyed because I think I had a clear mindset. And sometimes with my issues were when I was I didn't have a clear plan and my sometimes my mind would uh, would make me overthink things. So I opened the bowling, bowling quick into the pitch during the pressure power play was something I really enjoyed and something that was I did with Cheshire and Derbyshire as well. So having that responsibility of bowling the first over in those big cup games as, as a young like as a young teenager looking back now probably is a big feat, but at the time I just loved it. And I, 
I know that everyone had the confidence in me to do it because I was bowling well at that period. So, yeah, it was great. Well, for you, Jacko, because obviously at this point, again, a couple of years older than Harry, you, you, you've had, you know, some massive wicket hauls already. And now all of a sudden, instead of us concentrating on winning the league, win the league, we've got to win the league back. We're being very successful week in, week out in these cup competitions. Where did you see your role? Um, well, it kind of was developing all the time, really. Um, and game to game and how we went about it. I was quite, yeah, so as you say, I was 21 at that point, fairly well established with how I was bowling, getting picking up quite a few wickets on, on Saturdays. And so I kind of always saw my role in in those cup games as being the middle over wicket taker. We'd have our seamers up top, have Harry kind of keeping it tight with that one day bowling that he was working really hard with with Derbyshire and and the different places. And I almost didn't change my bowling too much from a Saturday. I was more come on in the middle overs, try and get some wickets in those traditionally quite quiet times which especially in the in the 2020s I think worked really well for us as a team in that they'd come out of the power play potentially off to a off to a flyer because you, know, you just hold on to your hold on to your hats in those power plays and anything could happen more often than not they're the opposition are behind the eight ball and then I've got to come and try and attack me in the middle overs with sweepers out but it kind of gives you the opportunity if you can pick up one or two wickets in those middle overs and get the opposition on the back foot going into the the tail end of their innings. So that and it, I definitely saw my role as being that kind of wicket taker, try and spin the ball both ways, try and have a bit of fun with it. Really, yeah. The bowling attack we had, the bowling attack we had that year, Jack. Sorry, but that was with Jackson in the seventh over after the power play is the perfect bowler to have because if you watch any. T20 big big bash or big or like T20 blast tournament. It normally is a wrist spinner that takes that over because the batsmen are normally coming at the ball and it's just field spreading. It's just completely changing the tempo of the game. So if we had opened with me and Hendo, different challenges and maybe one up more over a seam of another, and then Jack coming in that seven to fifteen fourteen over period, it would just he'd constantly take wickets and bats with the ball spinning away. You might spun it. it. Was just probably that was probably our best asset in those T20s. I think. Well, you actually look back. We didn't actually really, because Hendo could only play up to the T20 um, Cheshire final. And then after that, we went out of that and it was four spin attack. Uh, We moved Rolo from wicketkeeper. So there was you two, Ross doing what Ross does, bowling his overs in one one minute, 20 seconds into the wicket, run round, ruins the ball for the seamers. Mm -hmm. Um, and 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 then you've got Rolo who doesn't practice one of these freak guys who keeps wicket bats, bowls, and then he'll come on and bowl some old-fashioned arm bowls that he learnt off Keith Jones when he was at Upton. You know, he, he, he didn't really do anything with it. So it, it was it was really fascinating. And, and, and we ended up finding this formula, which was which obviously took us all the way to Northampton. Uh, and, you know, everyone knows what happened there and what a fantastic day that was. For me, it was really interesting seeing you guys, both in, in, in different games, Jacko in the semi-final, you know, uh, Great Aiton did not know what had hit them. They really didn't. They didn't understand how we had a guy who was six foot bowling with unbelievable control, wrist spin, that going both ways with a slightly chirpy Irish ex-international wicketkeeper behind the stumps <laughs> on on a wicket that the groundsman had told us in the morning was flat and wasn't going to spin. And it might as well have been in Karachi. It was <laughs> absolutely ragging. Jack, tell us a bit about that semi-final. It came out really well for you. Yeah, so it's just one of those days, I guess, that it it just comes and works works out for you. So we'd gone down the the night before, managed to have a a good net session at the ground. Uh, you kind of have all the buzz about arriving on the morning of the day. Kind of a couple of TV cameras there filming you. You get the the rousing speeches from different people. Obviously, your great interview at the coin toss lee where we've got a few batters and got a few bowlers so we should do all right <laughs> <Thank you. laughs> um, so and then you you kind of just go into the into the game there's a bit bigger crowd on there's a bit of a stand up but at the end of the day it's the same same game as you've played all your life and you just try and recreate what you've what you've always done um 
and thankfully for me that day it, it came out really well. The pitch helped. The batters didn't play play it particularly well and, and gifted me a few wickets. Obviously Seamus being what Seamus is and always has been and I think over the years he must have got me quite a few wickets by, by doing that to batters and he did it again that day and yes it was a really memorable day and nice memories to have. It was fantastic, Jack, because obviously you got man of the match in that semi-final and uh, we're not used to doing um, interviews after the game and uh, the presenter came to speak to you and you took your man of the match trophy and uh, bottle of champagne and thought it was a camera, supposed yeah. to a photo. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, on, a, on a video camera trying to take it to an interview with me and I'm stood there just still holding this bottle of champagne <laughs> trying to wait for the photograph to be taken. <laughs> So obviously um, we 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 then went into the second half of the second half of that day, um, into the final. Now for for you, Harry, the you know we we put on quite a formidable total. Uh, put this well badly. It, it was a great knock from me. Well done, Lee. Um, but you were given the opportunity there with a few runs on the board to go and again be quite aggressive um, on a, under the lights. That must have been such an amazing experience for you. It was a great experience, actually. I remember being at the top of the run up first ball and thinking, like, wow, this is great. Like, even little things like floodlights on, you could, it, it feels like it's loud, pink, brand new pink ball in your hand. And it was good, and it was. The first over didn't get off to a good start. I went to, I think it was three balls. And, the first, and it could, it could, like the day, because we had got such a big total. First ball, the guys run down, hit me over mid-off. And then inside edge one for four, and then a cut for four, and you think, bloody, like, this is... So that's the sort of experience there where you could, you could easily ball away then think I've come for 12 off off the first three balls and then I bowled him fourth ball apparently he was the guy that got their runs in the semi the left-hander opening and then bowled him and then got another wicket the next over so got two in the power play and I think we always used to talk about in T20 if you get three wickets in the power play get into that middle order early so if you get two straight away at the start and I think in that final roll I took four as well but like I think for me that setting the pace and getting a couple of early wickets felt great because on a day like that it's, it's great to win but knowing that you've contributed something as well makes it even more sweeter really so that was nice didn't quite contribute as much as you two lads but you know I'll take my two for <laughs> your, your, your time will come H uh, <laughs> we, look, I, I, I could sit here and I could go through so many different games with it. I'm going to pick one particular game out which always sticks in my memory for the period and actually in the big scheme of things it wasn't actually that big a game it was just a league game but we played away at Bramall and um, we, we didn't bat very well. We were bowled out for, what was it, Jacko? You'll know this better than me. Well, I think we managed to scramble up to 200 in the end, but I got a few runs to, to get us over the line. I think, we were about, I think we were about 130 for eight and then managed to scramble up to 200, thanks to some tail end hitting. Before Harry ran me out for 46. I ran Jack out for 46. He still hasn't, still hasn't forgiven it. <laughs> but uh, in response, we had Jordan Clark and Josh Henderson. Now, I would go as far to say that was the best opening attack that I've ever been able to captain or play with. Just for pure hostility and pace, um, it would not look out of place in first-class cricket. And I just thought, well, this is flying through. I got all excited. I just didn't change the bowling. And they were 80, 90 for none. The game was, you know, and Bramall's got this really fantastic essence. I love Richard Cragg, the groundsman. It always fantastically turned out. But it, you turn up and there's no one there but Craggy. He's just smiling at you. But then as soon as they get on top, it's like rent a crowd. It's like <laughs> you, you look up and there's, there's like 50 people there. And I'm thinking, mm. what is going on here? You know, because, because, but then obviously that day, we made a double bowling change, and you two come on. I'll let I'll let you, Jacko. You know this one. Yeah, so you two so, come on. Well, I remember. Yeah, you took Hendo off, I think, in the end, and and gave me the ball. And I remember being stood at the end of my mark, and you've come over to me, right, and gone, right, Jack. What we need you to do here is get wickets and not go for any runs. Do you reckon you can do that for me? Um, Genius. <laughs> and then I think in either third or fourth ball that first over. Uh, it was Matt Begby, the Australian that was over for Bramall at the time. He ran at it and hit it straight to mid-off, straight out the middle of that, about head height all the way. And I can't remember who took the catch now. Um, I think it was Christian Payne. Christian Payne, yeah. Christian Payne. <laughs> there you go. So he took the catch at mid-off and it, it just changed that whole atmosphere of the, the game and the day. Um, Harry came on at the other end, 
we had short legs, silly points in kind of the, it must have been horrible for any new batter coming out of the crease about the atmosphere that was created around it. And that was one of the most enjoyable spells I've had. Just the fact that I could concentrate on what I was doing, which, and the ball was coming out well. The lads were right in amongst it, getting around it, um, creating this horrible atmosphere for anyone to come in. We were ultra aggressive. Harry was at the other end, bowling really well as well. And it was just one of those days where it all clicked and everything came together. And yeah, I think we, we ended up taking them from 85 for none to 110 all out. And it, it was just one of those things that me and Harry did have done maybe four or five times over the years. But yeah, that one definitely stands out as a really good day for, for us as a, a bowling pair. So, so obviously, again, I feel like I'm just skimming through and, and Jim always tells me off because I could literally, I could probably do 10 hours on these things because I've got so many different games I want to talk about. But one thing I want to talk to both of you about is the fact that I'm a betting man, as anyone, everyone knows. Now, if I had a little, a little bit of money on the side here, arguably the next Chester captain is probably going to come from you two. Mm-hmm. Now, Jacko, you got your first experience of that uh, kind of at the end of last year when Rick was injured. Harry, you touched on being vice captain at a very young age and obviously taking a step back. This is your chance now. You know, would you love that job or are you happy to let Rick keep the, the seat warm for a bit longer? We'll start with Harry. Yeah, well, I think, I, I, like I did say from a young age, it's probably why I got given the vice captain role. I would love to captain Chester, I think. Um, from growing up here, playing all my cricket here, I've been lucky enough to captain a lot of representative sides growing up, um, and I've always enjoyed doing it. I think I, I like thinking about the game. I like seeing the way that different captains have used me and used other people over the years. Um, so yeah, it's something I would like to do, and I want to be a cricket captain. I'd like Chester, great, like would be the number one. But any, I think as an, as I grow up, I want to. I've always wanted to captain cricket sides because I like the way I like the way to think about the game. The only issue is essentially that vice-captaincy thing, which has maybe taken me a step back, I think was maybe a, a couple of years too early. Maybe not even too early. It was just the position I was in. I was living away uh, in Leeds. I was playing cricket during the week and I wasn't around at training. So I think I found it hard to really be involved in a sort of leadership role with Will if I wasn't really around at all. And there was that many senior players in that side. I probably didn't have the confidence at that stage when I was 19 to really speak out in, in, in that sort of group scenarios and maybe potentially wasn't given the opportunity enough but I think that's probably from my sort of confidence at that time seeing the likes of you Jack Warren Rick Keggy in that side Roth it's hard to sort of say oh this is what I think so maybe going forward if I see it now I think I'd, I'd be in a much better position to captain or vice captain but at that stage I'm honoured that it was thrust upon me because obviously people think that I've got some leadership credentials but at that time it was probably a bit Cool, but if you're a betting manly, yeah, I'd like to do it. Yeah. Simple answer. So, <laughs> so, so for, for Jacko, um, Jacko, um, I always have to apologize to Jack because I've always associated Jack with being the, the spearhead of our bowling attack. If people always say to me, Who would you who's the first name on the sheet for Chester? Everyone always thinks it's Warren. I don't believe that. I've always said it's Jack. I think you can get another cold pack from somewhere else, can't you, Wazza? But you, you can't get another six-foot leg spinner in league cricket like Jacko. And um, literally for me, I remember we were playing at Grappen all the way one day and we got to drink and nothing was happening. And I was sick of the sound of my own voice. It must I must have been ill. And um, I literally said in the huddle, I went, right, Jacko, go, say something. And this young Jacko looked at me to say, please don't do this to me. And yeah. you, you, don't give you, me you, nightmares that day. <laughs> I, I, yeah, I, I, I had so many things racing my my head. I couldn't get my words out, spluttered over myself. And <laughs> I don't even know what I said in the end. And that was it. <laughs> but one thing you've spoke about, you've obviously gone overseas, you've gone down to university, you matured an awful lot, you come back and you've been a stalwart at the side. This, you know, firstly, Ross being captain, obviously you and Ross had a fantastic relationship, clearly moved you, not up the pecking order, but I think you felt that your voice was was heard a lot more. Um, and then obviously this year as, as vice captain to Rick, 
Yeah, 100%. So I've always tried to be a, a thinking cricketer as much as I can. Um, but mostly that comes when I've actually got the ball in my hand. So when I take, when I have got the ball, I like to take control of what's happening, the fields, all things like that. Um, I've been captain in different ways, but on the whole, I've kind of been left to my own devices when I've had, had the ball with input from, from captains, which has meant that I've kind of always been having ideas and thinking about things and trying to put that forward, but without necessarily having the the ear to, to lend it to, not being that kind of uh, noisy person, I guess, and a little bit more more reserved in the nature I've got. Um, but yeah, so going over overseas, you're kind of forced to be that little bit more on the front foot um, and push yourself forward a bit more because you're trying to be that role model, especially when... That was in Riverside for the year, which was a very young team that we had. And you've got to try and step up. So I feel like it's definitely something that I'm I'm learning. I'm trying to get better at, trying to uh, improve myself at with and being a bit more uh, talkative in the changing room, offering advice, being that senior player as much as I can. And definitely the years with Ross, as you mentioned, and and then now under Rick as, as vice-captain, I definitely feel the more responsibility to be that role. And I feel like I'm getting better at expressing myself in those situations and can take that responsibility. And so, as you said, as you said, the, the captaincy thrust upon me for the last weekend of the season going, here you go, Jack, here's a phone call in the morning, right? I can't play <laughs> from Rick. And Jack, there you go, you, you're taking the reins in a, in a Cheshire Cup final, good luck. So, and that, yeah, you've either got to sink or swim in those situations. Unfortunately, the game didn't go as I wanted, but there were lots of things I can learn from and, and improve again, and it's all learning experiences. I think, I think just one thing on that game, and I, I know how tough it was for, for you in the sense that you look around your whole adult cricket um, career at Chester, there would always be a Rick on the field, myself on the field, a Seamus, a Keggy, somewhat sort of Rolo, someone who would naturally be um, in the game with the captain. And you, you know, that day you've gone out there, no Rick, no myself, no Will. Um, I saw both of you working together. I know one thing, Jackie, you've always said is that the toughest thing, especially about being a bowling captain, is getting yourself in at the right time. Looking back yeah. now, do you, you know, and we've had this conversation over and over again. Do you think someone else that day would have bowled you earlier? Yes, I think so. Um, and that, that's always been an issue I've had as being a, a captain of sides whenever I have done it at junior level or, or different times. Managing my own overs and when I bowl has always been something that I, I do struggle with. I tend to always bring myself on later just so I don't ever have to bring myself off if that makes sense um, I find that quite difficult to judge when someone else is ready to go when I bowl in myself so what I've always tended towards is bringing myself on too late and then just bowling through so it was always I'd have the four overs at the end of a, a 2020 when I played junior cricket I'd and things like that. Um, so I guess a little bit of that in my head. I wanted to exhaust all the options first, then come to me, which in mm. hindsight, probably not the the right way of going. But then in the back of my mind, Duffy was batting. He's obviously one of the the league's best left-handers. We have, we've obviously got one of the, the league's best off spinners in Harry there. So I wanted to hit, give him a bit more of a bowl. Um, they, yeah, they did have a lot of left-handers at the top. They had Young, Balderson, Duffy. And I think Jack Fenton may have come on late, but when you're defending a score like 120, it was so hard for him, I think. So, I don't know. I think you can look over that, like like, like we said, potentially came on too late, but he did bowl fantastically that day, which obviously exaggerates the point that he came on too late. But there was a lot of left-handers. And Al Money, to be fair to him, got a couple of wickets and bowled well. So, I don't think it was a massive issue for you. No, no, so I'm not. I'm not overly critical, I guess, but it is just something that I'm acutely aware of. It is my yeah, well, okay. downfall as a as a captain is managing my own 
mm-hmm. my own overs, my own bowling. Yeah. Um, and and that is one of the, the criticisms I've heard from that day. And most of the time when I captain the, the constructive criticism and feedback I get is that I bring myself on too late, too often. So it's something for me to work on or um, either have people around me that you can then work with it and, and try and find solutions to. Yeah. I, I, what, what, from, from my point of view, Jacko, honestly, I, I think it's one of them when you're, uh, it's better to have a captain that is thinking of others than just thinking, you know what, I'm going to open the ball and open the bat and then worry about everyone else because it's club cricket at the end of the day and you're trying to make sure that everyone else is getting that opportunity also. But going back to that first question, so the captaincy comes up in a year's time, would you put yourself forward? Would that be something you'd be interested in? It's something that I'd have to seriously think about, I think. Um there's obviously different questions with work and how everything like that's going and other parts of my life. But if the situation arises where the stars fall into line and then I've got the opportunity to do it, then it's definitely not something that you you shirk out and, and step away from because it is obviously a really, as a club, it's a big part of uh, who I am and, and where I've come through in my life. And yeah, it would obviously be an honour to, to take on that role. But at the same time, it's, a massive responsibility that you want to do justice to. And well, so. well, I think I think you've sat beautifully on the fence there, Jack. So yeah, you've, you've done your, your best. So all we know so far is that as soon as Rick drops the baton, Harry wants to pick it up. And if the club want Jack to do it, they're going to have to put a really good proposal to him and to his work <laughs> to make sure that it all fits in just as bad. All, all, all I'd say, guys, is look, we could talk all day. It's been an absolute pleasure to have arguably two of the best spinners that uh, the club has ever seen. And the fact that we've brought them through from our own junior section makes it even better. Thanks very much, guys. Cheers, Cheers Lee. Thanks Thank for having you. us. Well done. Uh, thanks, Jim. And that just about wraps things up for this edition of The Full Toss. Many thanks to Tom Evans, to Harry Caloran and to Jack Williams. Thank you to Lee Dixon as ever, of course, and thank you for listening. So we'll be back very, very soon. In the meantime, of course, please do stay safe. <laughs>